Let's have uh, Bruce come forward and do the Scripture reading, actually. We thank You that You are God who has done it. It comes from a psalm that Jesus cried out on the cross. And those words were encapsulated in, in that one statement that He made there. But Lord, You have done it. And we are thankful that You have accomplished our salvation. You have accomplished our justification. You are taking us through this process of, of being sanctified and one day we will be in Your presence. And we so look forward to that. We so look forward to worshiping You face to face. We thank You that You are a King that will rule over all the nations, that does rule over all the nations. You are a sovereign God who has not lost control of one thing and You are accomplishing Your purposes in and through the, the chaos of this world. And all things we're going to look at the end and go, wow, You couldn't have done anything better. And so we are so excited to see how you will continue to unfold your great plan and, and to see how you will continue to bring the gospel forth to the world that so needs you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us just gain a vision for what you are doing around the world, for your love for, for the world, your heart. As we turn to your word, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would help us to walk with you and and I pray that you would take these words that we find on these pages of Scripture, might they be an encouragement to us, an exhortation that would cause us to walk in obedience and that would make us look more like Jesus today. It's in His precious name we ask this. Amen. Well, one of the pastors that I grew up with used to remind us often that there are only two things that exist in this world that will last for eternity in our heavenly home. God's Word and people. In this life, we invest in, in many different kinds of treasures. Retirement plans, gold, money, bonds. But out of all the investment plans that you can capitalize upon, there are only two things that, we, that exist in this world that will last for eternity in our heavenly home. And so, it stands to reason that we should ask ourselves what kind of priority that we place on those two investments. Jesus Himself said in Matthew chapter 6, He says, do not, lay, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember that, that our home is, is somewhere else. Our hope is somewhere else. We, we, we're just passing through on this journey of life. And, and we have a limited time to invest in the Scripture where we grow in our relationship with the Lord and, is, and a limited time to invest in, in people here on this earth. Our home is where our Savior is. Where our hope is. Today, uh, we come to the end of our summer study on the book of Colossians. And in this beautiful letter, we have discovered over and over and over again that Jesus is greater than. He's, he's greater than. He is superior. He is preeminent. He is greater than all this world has to offer. He, he is greater than its religious ideas. The, the mystical, the philosophical pathways that men present and say, come over this way, do this. This is, this is how you come to know this God that created us. Jesus is, is greater than all of that. He's greater Master. And in Him we've discovered that we have a greater walk. 
and we, have a, and we live with a greater purpose. In chapters 3 and 4, we've discovered some very practical advice that Paul and Timothy give to us, that they gave to the Colossians that's just as relevant for us today about how we are to live on purpose. And we've discovered that the importance uh, and the command to put sin to death. We are to put off that which defiles us. And we are to put on that which adorns us with beauty. We are called to a life where we live on purpose, where we must invest in family on purpose, where we work as part of our worship. And, and, we, and last week we discovered the importance of words. That your words all the time are to be spoken with grace. Our words are to be on purpose in prayer and in bringing people and healing to, healing to the soul as we direct people to the giver of all life, Jesus Christ. But finally, Colossians shows us in this last passage that we're going to look at today, and you're going to be amazed that we're going to get, almost, we're going to get all the way through chapter 4 almost all in just one week. Um, but finally, as we look at this last chapter, we're going to see that because Jesus is greater than, we are called to invest in people on purpose. Often we find ourselves at the end of one of these New Testament epistles and we see this long list of names and people and, and uh, it, it's tempting to just breeze and burst through these, these final greetings as if they're just kind of a footnote at the end of the, of, of the epistle. But, but what we need to remember is that these final greetings and Colossians are part of the inspired Word of God and there's great treasure for us to find here today. Like Paul and Timothy, you and I, we have people in our lives that we are called to invest in on purpose. Each individual is unique and each individual brings unique blessings and unique challenges. And so as we, I encourage you to look with me today as, at some of the people that made an impact on the men who wrote this letter and discover the treasure of people on purpose. I, I've shared with you before when I went to Moody Bible Institute, one of the things that really impacted me as an individual was was the priority that people placed on me as an individual, as a person. And um, I realized this when I, when I started to recognize that some of the people in my life, my teachers, my supervisors, the people that um, I was under their authority, that they, they learned my name. And, and the way that I discovered this, um, as many of you know, um, I went by River when I was in college, River Niles. My mom was horrified when I flipped my name tag over at orientation and, and then it stuck. In fact, I was, I was uh, doing something this, this week, and it kind of auto-fills things in, and um, I think it was one of the forms for my passport or one of the plane tickets, and it auto-filled in my name and put River as my middle name. And, uh, um, but, but it's not my middle name, uh, even though that's what you see me on Facebook as. But when I went to college, I, I changed my name as a joke, and then it stuck for four years, and that's all anybody knew me by. They didn't know my name was Jeff. My friends had no idea that my name was Jeff. And so I went by River at Moody. But after uh, several weeks and months at, at the school, going by this new name, uh, Pat Friedline, who was the residence supervisor, uh, came up to me. And, uh, and he would greet me every once in a while and say, you know, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Glad to have you here. And, you know, they're just those general, g generic greetings that you get from people of, you know, hey, young man, or hey, how's it going? Um, glad, you know, one day... Uh, I got, got into the elevator, and, and Pat turns to me and says, hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? Good, good to see you. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, 
how in the world did he discover my... Nobody calls me Jeff here. And I realized that Pat had gone somewhere. He had taken the time to invest in finding out who I was. He, he found paperwork or a, a, an orientation picture or whatever it was, and he found me. And, and I realized that, that Pat cared about me as an individual so much so that he learned my name. It was... Um, uh, one of the places that I did call myself by Jeff, however, when I was at Moody was, was when I was in the classroom. For some reason, River just didn't seem respectful to my professors. And so I always introduced myself as Jeff to my professors. And it was in my, uh, later on in my, my second semester there, no, it was in the first semester there, um, I was sitting under on my, my Greek professor. And, and one day I was, I was uh, supposed to translate one of the uh, assignments. And it was one of those 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 sentences I was looking at it is like this doesn't make sense to me I, I've been up late the night before I didn't completely do a good job and so I was just praying that he wasn't going to call on me and, and as I sat in there in the class I kind of had my, my head hanging low just kind of praying that he would look at somebody else and that they would get his attention because question number four was not going to go well if he called on me to translate it publicly and so as I'm, as I'm looking at my paper trying to frantically retranslate it um, I, I hear Dr. Sauer in his Mississippi accent says, um, who would like to translate number four for us, please? Would, would somebody translate number four? Potty Moss, would you translate number four for us this morning? No response. I'm looking at my paper. Potty Moss, would you be so kind as to translate number four for the class today? And I looked up and he was looking at me and I thought, what in the world? And, and, uh, and, and Dr. Sauer got this grin on his face and says, Potty Moss, that's your name, isn't it, son? And I said, I, I don't know. And he looked at me and says, River? Is your name River? And I said, well, yes, sir. I haven't gone by that in here. He says, he says yeah, I heard somebody calling you that. And he says, Potty Moss. You know what a Potty Moss is? You ever heard of a hippo Potty Moss? That's a river horse, son. He says, Potty Moss, River. He says, I'm going to call you Potty Moss from now on. And for years he did that. When I was candidating here, I was candidating in another church as well, and, and he was actually the interim pastor there. And I sat down in the interview with him years after I'd been out of his class, and, and he remembered me, and, and he says, do you remember what I used to call you? And I said, yes, sir, I do. I said, and I told him the story I just told you, and he didn't remember that part. And he told me something, and he says, you know, and I told him how, how important that was to me, how, how he learned my name. Not just my name Jeff from his class roster, but he, he learned what other people called me. And, uh, and he gave me my own name, his own name. Uh, and I told him that story and told him what it meant to me. And he said, well, he says, you know, the Bible tells us that, that our, our Lord knows his sheep's name. He, he knows their names. He knows each one of us. And he says, I, I figured that if if it's important for the Lord to know our names, it should be important to me too. As we treasure people, and as we work and serve and be served by people, uh, some of the people on purpose in your life are going to be those that are easy to love. Some of them are going to be tough to love. But as we come to the end of Colossians, we find that God calls us to love people on purpose. Sometimes that means learning their name on purpose doing and sacrificing and serving on purpose. And God has equipped them 
those people with an amazing, some, some of these people with an amazing ability to just serve selflessly. They're those that you just, you just love them naturally. You, you, you encounter them and you just feel like they're your best friend immediately. One of those individuals that was a blessing in Paul and Timothy's life was a man named Tychicus. Read verses 7 and 8 with me as he describes him there. He says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that, that he, may be in, he may encourage your hearts. And so Tychicus, basically, he was the mailman. I like the summary that Pastor Ray Fowler gave. He said, so Tychicus is the mailman. He is the one who actually delivered this letter from Paul to the Colossians. And now, this was not an easy task. Paul was in prison in Rome over a thousand miles away. Tychicus would have had to cross Italy on foot and then sail across the Adriatic Sea, cross Greece on foot, sail across the Aegean Sea, and then walk an additional 100 miles on foot to Colossae. And you think your mailman has a tough job. And so Tychicus was just, he was one of those people who lived as a, as a faithful servant. We're introduced to him in Acts chapter 20, uh, where we're told in 24 that, that he was from Asia, which is modern day Turkey, and that when Paul returned to Syria and Jerusalem for the last time, Tychicus was one of those individuals who went with Paul, and he joined him on that journey. Uh, he was part of the support crew. He was just there serving. We don't know how, we don't know what, but, but he was with Paul supporting the ministry and being a part of that ministry in a variety of different ways. Now, of course, Paul arrived in Jerusalem. Uh, a plot was hatched and he was arrested. Uh, all that led to years of imprisonment, a couple of years in, in, um, in Syria, and then trials, and eventually a voyage to Rome where he was awaiting his trial before Caesar. And in fact, the book of Colossians was most likely written under those circumstances, uh, around those circumstances. And we think that Paul and Timothy wrote this letter from Rome while he was still under house arrest. But here's Tychicus. He's still with Paul after all these years. I don't know if he went on a few journeys here and there, and, but, but he's always coming back. And he's always around Paul in those latter years of his ministry. Still serving, still being faithful, Still just one of those beloved individuals that just blesses your life. And they come into your life and you go, how have I been so blessed to have this guy around? And, and that was what he was for Paul. And so Paul sent him with a few letters that he was responsible for delivering to some of the churches uh, uh, of the, the churches in Asia Minor. We'll talk, about, uh, one, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll talk about a couple of those letters today. But Tychicus is mentioned in Ephesians and a parallel passage to Colossians 4. Later on, he's going to be mentioned in a letter to Titus where he's also again bringing letters to individuals. Um, and then at the end of Paul's life, he's once again going to uh, send his friends to Ephesus to serve uh, at, right at the end of Paul's life. And he's mentioned in the book of 2 Timothy. You're going to find people in your life like Tychicus who are a blessing to you. And it's just easy to invest in them. We're called to be Tychicus to others. People on purpose comes a bit more naturally though when you, when you find a person like, like Tychicus. There's another beloved servant that was traveling with Tychicus and his name was Onesimus. The next person in our story. Look at verse 9. It says, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And so you're going to find that some people like Tychicus will be known to you but, but by God's grace, there are going to be other people in your life that, that you don't really see as that person that's going to bring blessing into your life. But then you're surprised. 
you have no idea who this person is, or maybe you know them and think, wow, you know, this person's a real work, and uh, you know, that person sure needs Jesus, but you know, in our back of mind, what are we thinking? That'll never happen. And then, lo and behold, this person comes to Christ and God transforms their life. And, and all of a sudden you went, wow, look at the things that God is doing for this individual and how He's transforming them. And, and, and you have those people that are just a surprise blessing that you never saw it coming. And Onesimus was one of those. When Colossians was written, Onesimus was a brand new, a brand new believer. He's only mentioned twice in the Bible, here and in the letter of Philemon, which was being delivered on the same occasion that Tychicus was taking Colossians. Onesimus was a slave who had run away from his master. Um, different Slavery was a bit different in those days than what we imagine in, in American culture. Uh, it was very much part of their system, part of how things worked in those days. And, and, and the, the Scripture encouraged them to, to serve Christ in whatever their circumstances were. And Onesimus was um, a slave who had run away from his master. He had, it seems, probably stole from his master before making for the road. And by God's providence, Onesimus runs into Paul in Rome. And, and on that occasion, he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, he's heading back to his master when Colossians is being written and Philemon, the, the book of Philemon is being sent to Philemon, his master. And he's being sent to make things right. And he's returning not just as a servant though, but he's returning as a brother in Christ. And he was probably someone that the church of Colossae they were familiar with. Maybe they saw him uh, from time to time in one of the house churches serving and, and working. Um, but Paul points out now, he says, he's, he is one of you. In, in God's grace, he brings surprise saints into our lives. These are people that... that seem hard-hearted and they encounter the love of Jesus Christ and their life is transformed by His grace. And then, and then you discover what a blessing they are to you. Faithful and beloved brothers as, as Paul describes them here. You're going to have people that are just faithful servants. They're beloved to you. Uh, some of them faithful, lifelong partners in the Gospel and some of them are surprise blessings. But there will also be people who God is going to bring into your Christian walk and ministry who bring great comfort. Those that come to you and they're just encouraging. You're going to need these too. And the first of these that Paul names is a guy named Aristarchus. He's also mentioned in Acts chapter 20. Aristarchus was a believing Jew who came from Macedonia, from the city of Thessalonica. And so again, one of those servants who, who stuck with Paul through difficult times in fact, Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles was oftentimes on the outside among his Jewish friends. Uh, but Aristarchus was one of the three Jewish believers who, who stayed with him. And in verse 10, Paul, said, Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus was one of, the, of Paul's traveling companions. And his presence goes a little further back uh, to Acts chapter 19. He was with Paul when the riot broke out in Ephesus. And, and we're told that two of the, the men that were with Paul uh, got drug off by the mob, and Aristarchus was one of, the, one of those individuals. But being mauled by an angry, in an angry riot didn't deter him. He, he sticks with Paul on his journey. He goes back to Syria in Acts chapter 20 along with a few of the others that are mentioned. He's again mentioned in Acts chapter 27 when they, they put out to sea for Italy. And, and here he's still with Paul. And he's a fellow prisoner in Rome. He mentions him in Philemon as well. And it seems that they, they did a bit of time together over those couple years. 
I don't know if he was just a visitor a lot or if he was in prison with Paul most of that time, but, but Paul notes that he was a, a comfort for him. And then he mentions Mark. Some of the people whom God uses to comfort us uh, are, are going to be those that, that He's brought into your life and you see them as regular basis as an encourager. But again, there's going to be some people He's going to bring into your life that are going to be a surprise. They're going to bring comfort to you and, and from where you didn't expect it. And, and Mark was one of those. He tells us, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if He comes to you, welcome Him. And John Mark is one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. I, I love this guy. I look forward to meeting him. Uh, maybe having a couple laughs about a couple of the events in his life and, and uh, just enjoying a conversation about, about his walk with Christ and the journeys that he took. Uh, when we first meet this man, he's in his late teens or early 20s. Of course, years later, he's going to be the one who's going to write a book of the Bible. Can you guess which one it is? Uh, the Gospel of Mark. Probably the first of the four Gospels to be written. And, and I have a sneaking suspicion that he made a couple cameos in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, um, when we studied Mark, I think I mentioned those to you. But Mark introduces himself into the story without actually calling himself by, by his own name. If you remember, on, on the day of the last Passover, Jesus is with the disciples, and he tells two of the disciples to do something interesting. Go prepare the Passover, and you're going to find a place, an upper room. And how are they going to find it, did he say? What's that? supposed to ask somebody in the street, particularly they're going to see somebody in the street. They're going to be in the street and they're going to see a young man carrying water. Now that seems like an insignificant detail in the story until you realize that, that in that day, carrying water was not a man's job. That was woman's work. And so men didn't carry water around. Uh, there are... Um, and, and it's hinted that, that possibly this was Mark that was actually that man. And so here he is doing woman's work, which would have been embarrassing for him in that culture. And the disciples find him. He's carrying water, and they're supposed to follow him back to the upper room, and that's where they're supposed to set up for the Passover. Basically, Jesus tells them, you follow this guy home. There, there are later hints that the Last Supper, as well as the upper room, were where the first disciples met after the resurrection. And there are hints that this was the home of Barnabas and Barnabas' family, a cousin of Mark. And, and Mark tells this story in his Gospel and it's passed on, I think, in the other Gospels as well. But lo and behold, we learn about this anonymous young man doing a woman's job in that culture in the Gospel of Mark. And I think that he slips himself into the story, perhaps, and he identifies himself, and it may be how he first met Jesus. But a few chapters later, he shows up again. And, and again, we're not told that it's Mark, but I, I have a good feeling that, that it is. He shows up one other time, and it's at the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus was arrested, where Jesus was arrested, and all the disciples scattered around. And Mark tells us, and Mark's the only Gospel that tells us this. Luke and Matthew don't repeat it. But Mark says that there was a young man in the garden. You remember anything interesting about this man? What was it, Matt? Yeah, they didn't grab his cloak. They grabbed his sheet. He's in the garden and he's hiding in a bush. And the only thing he's wearing is a sheet. He, he apparently followed the disciples from the upper room and, and he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, probably fell asleep like everybody else does. But, but when all the guards show up, there's all this confusion and here's this guy in the bush watching everything going on. And he's wearing a sheet and thinking, oh man, I hope nobody notices me. And somebody does. And so they grab the sheet and... Well, you can imagine what happens with the rest of the story. <laughs> I can just imagine somebody asking Mark throughout his life, hey, Mark, tell us, how did you come to know Jesus? 
<laughs> what a story for your testimony, huh? Anyway, years later, Mark had become a Christian. And when Paul and Barnabas set off on their first missionary journey, they took Mark with them. He was a young disciple. He was a relative, maybe a, a nephew, cousin. Uh, that wasn't necessarily that distinction made in the passages. But when, when things got tough, they're on the journey and they're, heading, they're sailing north towards Asia Minor. And when things got really bad, Mark abandoned them. He left them high and dry. We're not told exactly what the circumstances were, but it was bad. And when they really needed him, he left them high and dry. And it seems that he left Paul in a very difficult position. And so, so much so that when they left for their next missionary journey, Barnabas comes along. He says, you know, hey, I want to bring Mark with us. And what's Paul say? No way! Uh-uh! You remember what this guy did to us last time? And they have a discussion, and it's a heated one, so much so that Paul and Barnabas split paths. And Barnabas takes Mark, and they go off to one direction, and Paul takes Silas, and God uses that to take the Gospel further. But, but Paul was like, no, there's absolutely no way I'm taking Mark with us on this journey. But years go by. And now we come to the book of Colossians, and this is the first time that we see an interaction between Mark and Paul, and it's hinted at that there was some sort of interaction in the, the meantime. And, and guess what? Here's Mark. Here's Mark again, and Paul's opinion of him has changed greatly. So much so that, that, that Paul says, he, he comforts me. He's an encouragement to me. What a transition from what happened early in the book of Acts. Mark is a reminder to us to every single one of us, that God's not done with you. He's not done with you. If you feel like you've really messed things up, failed in ministry, let people down, I want you to remember that Mark went on to be of great value. Not only to Paul, but also to Peter. Peter and Mark uh, wrote the Gospel of Mark together. Peter probably was, was there with Mark and Mark was telling a story and, and Peter was helping with that. Or vice versa. But Mark is also a reminder to us that oftentimes God's going to bring people into your life that you don't think there's much hope for them, and, and then God turns things around. And they bring great comfort. So just like Onesimus was kind of that surprise, that surprised, beloved, faithful disciple, Mark was a surprised, beloved man who just brought comfort to Paul. You're going to have other people in your life that, that you may have lost hope for a long time ago, but God hasn't. And God encourages us, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. You keep investing in doing people on purpose. He also mentions a third Jewish man, a guy named Jesus. Now, you may think, wow, you know, that's pretty cool. He has the same name as our Lord, which is. Uh, it was actually common though. Jesus was a common name in the New Testament times. In the Old Testament days, uh, the name Jesus was also common, but it was spelled Joshua. Same name, different languages. Um, but this is the only time and place in the Bible where Jesus, who is called Justice, is mentioned. And he says in verse 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these, these three, are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And so Paul notes these three Jewish individuals that, that were encouraging. One of the other groups of people that we all need in our lives, and that you need to be for other people in your life, is people who pray. In verses 12 to 14, Paul mentions three Gentiles that worked with them. And the first one is particularly noted for his prayers. 
Epaphras, the first man that's described. It says in verses 12 and 13, Epaphras, excuse me, but, uh, names are important, right? Epaphras. Let's say his name right. Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. And we only know of him from the two times that he's mentioned in Colossians, chapter 1 and chapter 4, and the one time that he's mentioned in Philemon, which again was a, a letter that was written at the same time. But from the clues that Paul drops, it seems that Epaphras was, was probably the pastor who planted the church of Colossae, as well as the churches in Hierapolis, which was a few miles away, and the church in Laodicea, which was kind of a, in the same region. Probably he was continuing to serve as their pastor, and he had gone to Rome to visit and encourage Paul. Maybe he went on his own missionary journeys and left a new pastor in charge. But earlier, Paul described him as a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf in chapter 1. And my friends, you're going to need people like Epaphras. People who are great prayer warriors. And you need to be an an Epaphras. I like saying Epaphras. It just flows off the tongue a lot better. But Epaphras, uh, you, you need to be Epaphras for those around you. One of my goals in this life is to be the kind of prayer warrior that Epaphras was that at the end of my pastoral ministry, that, that my prayer life and my prayers for you would be so much more like Epaphras's uh, than at the beginning. In fact, the word that Paul uses about him when he says that he struggles on your behalf, uh, the word means to fight. It's, it's a word that it refers to a wrestling match, a great contentious struggle, a battle. And Epaphras was engaged in a great contest on behalf of the believers in Colossae. He loved them and he prayed for them and Paul watched that. And as he ministered to Paul in, in, in under house arrest, Paul noted his prayers for the Colossians. His prayer, prayer can be a great struggle. It doesn't come easily, but we are called to it. And we need people in our lives and we need to be people on purpose who pray for one another. Briefly in verse 14, Paul mentions two other individuals. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And of course, Luke is the same Gentile doctor who accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. He spent a great deal of time with him in Rome. He eventually wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he followed up volume 1 with a second volume called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And these are the only two books in the Bible written by a Gentile. Luke is mentioned in a few places and was with Paul at the end when he wrote 2 Timothy as well. But I also want you to note they're, they're not only going to be people who pray for you and that you pray for, not only are there going to be those that are faithful, beloved individuals, and not only are there going to be people who bring you great comfort and that you also encourage, but they are also going to be people who fail you. There are going to be people that mess up. We are called to invest in people on purpose. And some of those people will be your close, beloved friends, but some of them will surprise you, and some of them are going to surprise you because you gave up on them earlier, but there are going to be some that will fail you. And this last individual that Paul mentions is Demas. He also mentions him in Philemon with the other group of men. But at the end of Paul's life, he's going to tell Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And it hurts when it happens. It hurts when you're abandoned by a friend. 
But understand that there are going to be those in, in your life that are going to fail you, that are going to disappoint you. But still, you are called to live life on purpose as you invest in them, serve them, love them. We serve people on purpose and we love people on purpose even when they fail us later on. And then we continue to love them in anyway. But there's also going to be people that you've never met. Verse 15 mentions another congregation and another individual who hosted one of the house churches in their valley. And this brings us to this fifth group of people on purpose. Like the Colossians, Paul probably had, he had never, probably never met the church of Laodicea. Uh, Nympha may have just been a name that Epaphras had told Paul about. Maybe they had met on occasion. We don't know. But one way or another, the, the partnership that we have in ministry, it extends even to those that, that we've never worked with, never met. Now, how beautiful the body of Christ is. Angie and I are looking forward to meeting with a couple congregations in, in uh, Italy. They don't know we're coming, and, and we don't know them, but I've seen some of what, they, what they're doing there and, and the, the preaching that's going on there and the, 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 just the camaraderie and the fellowship that these churches have. And we're looking forward to that partnership of just being there to encourage and worship with, with our fellow saints in Italy. Well, Paul wrote regarding these, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so he alludes to the presence of other letters that Tychicus was probably carrying and delivering. One of those letters was Philemon. Another of those letters was the epistle of the Ephesians. And Paul makes mention also of a letter that went to the Laodiceans that they were to pass on to the Colossians. Uh, many scholars actually believe that this letter to the Laodicea was actually the, the, the epistle of Ephesians. Because uh, the earliest copies that we have of the book of Ephesians in, in the Greek version, the earliest copies we have are actually missing the word Ephesus. And so that when you read to the saints who are in Ephesus in your Bible, instead in the earliest copies, it just read to the saints who are in blank. And, and what we do know and what we do from Ephesians is that we think it was a circular letter. It was a letter that was passed on to one church and they were passed on to the next church. And so um, it, it was passed on to all these churches in Asia Minor. And probably it was first received in Ephesus and then it went on from there and they made a personal copy of it so that they had a copy of Ephesians in their church with the phrase to the saints of the church in Eph who are in Ephesus. And then that was probably passed on to a church like Pergamum and, and Smyrna and then eventually Laodicea and then they would pass on a copy. They would make a copy and pass it on to uh, after they'd received it to the Colossians. And there's just a little extra for you that you didn't pay for. But, uh, but here's Paul ministering to and praying for and serving people that he had never met. That brings us to our last category. People like you. Paul concludes and he says, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. John MacArthur makes mention that here in, in, <clears throat> that here in this chapter is a whole group of people who are being faithful. There's a whole group of people that are described throughout chapter 4 of men and women that were being faithful, that were comforters, that were encouragers, that were prayer warriors. And essentially, they're serving. And MacArthur notes that Archippus is now receiving the call to follow their example. Archippus, look at these faithful servants. Now you go 
And you serve people on purpose too. You fulfill your ministry. And he's also one of the three individuals in the book of Philemon that, that Philemon was actually written to. Perhaps he was the new pastor that, pastor that, that replaced Epaphras. I, I don't know. But I, but I think MacArthur's right when he says this. He says, you are Archippus. You've just seen all these examples. Now fulfill your ministry that the kingdom may be advanced. I'd like to conclude today with a little bit of application and some brief going away thoughts for you. Kind of a different direction than I usually do at the end of my message. But I think it really relates to what we've seen here in chapter 4. As Angie and I begin our sabbatical this afternoon and we leave for Europe tomorrow, let me first say that you are a comfort and great encouragement to us. I mean that sincerely and with all my heart. I, I candidated here to be your pastor um, eight years ago, Greg. Eight years ago, this last week, uh, we were candidating, and then we came in November. And it was eight years ago, our, our family, we, we fell in love with you. We, we fell in love with you as a church. And uh, if the Lord would be so kind, if He tarries, uh, that, that we pray that He would allow us many more years to serve alongside you as we do ministry together as we love people together, as we serve people on purpose. Uh, we, we're just so grateful to be, to be here. And, and we're grateful to you. Um, Craig mentioned the, my salary package, my contract, I guess, is the word for it, earlier today. And, and um, I, I'm just grateful that you've, you've made this happen. Uh, grateful that, that you allowed this. Uh, I'm incredibly humbled at, at this gift that you provided to Angie and I. Um, humbled that you included it with my employment here, but also that you've made it happen. Even, even when the plans have changed. I think we're, we said we're on plan D. I had another flight canceled this week. Um, it, it got rescheduled really quickly, and so just one day delay, but, but it looks good. Um, things keep on changing, but in, even through all that, um, the Lord continues to make it work, and you've made it work. And I just want to say thank you to you as a congregation. Um, I've been asked about leaving for two months and, and others have suggested that I should be worried. Um, aren't you worried about what's going to happen when you're gone? I'm not. I, I'm really not. Um, first, because I, I, I realize I'm not the guy. I, I'm not the guy. Jesus is. Jesus is the guy. He is the one who is greater than. And so this idea that the church is going to fall apart because the pastor takes a sabbatical or leaves for vacation, that, that's, just, that's false. That's, that's counterintuitive to what Colossians has been teaching us. Jesus is the guy. He's the one that we worship. I'm just the guy that shares God's Word with you and, and loves you and, and, and prays that I can be a shepherd that, that God has called me to be. But, but He is the one who is greater than. Jesus is the one who began a good work in you and He will complete it. When we came here, we found a church who was being faithful. When Angie and I moved here, we found people who loved each other, who were doing the work that God had called them to do. And for eight years, I, I've seen you continue in that. And I, I'm encouraged by that. And I'm confident that without my presence among you for a couple months, nothing's going to change about that. You're going to keep loving one another. You're going to keep serving one another. You're going to keep living life on purpose. And, and so rather than worry about what's going to happen when I'm away for a few weeks, um, 
I, I instead look forward with anticipation to how God is going to use this time, not only in Angie and my life, but, but also in yours. And, and it's going to be a time for all of us to grow in ways that otherwise we might not. To be challenged, maybe some of you are going to discover gifts that God has given to you that maybe you weren't using before. And all of a sudden, wow, cool, look at how God used that. And so I hope that you are anticipating and praying for that with me as well. Might our prayer be that of Epaphrasus, Epaphrasus, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I, I do want to encourage you in one thing. I, I know there, there's a temptation that churches face when pastors go on vacation. Um, I've seen it. Um, don't, don't skip gathering together. It's going to be easy to say, well, we're going to take a vacation for a few weeks from church. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't skip gathering together faithfully over this next couple months. Over this last year, last two years, we have already been isolated from one another way too much. And the enemy, he, he gets us off by ourselves. And he, and he loves to do it. And he takes advantage of that. And my friends, God put us together for a reason. It's not so that you can come here, Pastor Jeff. That, that's not why you're here. Uh, we, we examine God's Word together. That's part of why we come together to study God's Word. But, but you are here to serve one another and to fellowship with one another. You need each other. And so don't follow the trend to skip coming to church because the senior pastor is not preaching this week. We need each other. I, I want you to know that Angie and I are going to prioritize our time together uh, with other saints while we're on sabbatical. This is important for us. We don't, we don't want to be isolated from the body of Christ either. And so over this next few weeks, we're going to be at different churches worshiping with the saints. Um, we're going to be meeting with, and I'm mentioning these names of these churches and places because I want you to be praying for them just like these men in Colossians 4 were praying for each other. I want you to pray for us that we would be an encouragement to these congregations. Um, this next couple weeks, this next two Sundays, we're going to be worshiping with the, the saints in Bordeaux. And uh, we'll be with the Beckers, some of the, one of the missionary families that we support. The third week, we're going to still be with the Beckers, but apparently we're going to be worshiping at, um, it's the third oldest evangelical free church in France. It was established in 1850. So he said you guys might be interested uh, by that. So we're looking forward to, to worshiping with them. And uh, we'll be with the Beckers that week as well. Uh, and then the two weeks after that, we're going to be staying in Lombardy in the northern part of Italy. And there's a, there's a church that we found in um, Sesto Calende that we're going to be worshiping with that's preaching God's word, that's making disciples, and the church is growing there. And so we're looking forward to being with them. And then the last two weeks that we're in Italy, we'll be in Tuscany, and we're going to be with a church in uh, Siena that we're going to be joining. And so, so know that gathering together with the saints, know, know that it's important to us too. Um, we need God's people, and God has commanded us. I think God, it's part of the reason God commanded us in Hebrews to not neglect meeting together. He commanded that of us. Don't, don't as the practices of some, don't neglect gathering together. And so please prioritize worshiping together, but also I, I want you to know that, that you all have some great preaching coming up. You really do. Um, this is a chance to hear some different voices, but I want you to know that the men who are going to be preaching this next 11 weeks have been praying and, and, and they've been preparing for the, this focus on God's heart for the world for several months now. And uh, you're going to see some familiar faces. Pastor Jared will be preaching a few times. Brian and Craig are going to be be preaching a couple times. Um, we're going to have Jason Crosby coming from Moody Radio, uh, who's spoken here before and, and been a blessing to us. 
Um, three of our missionaries from, that our church supports will be speaking. One of them, our own Scott Kaczynski. Uh, Phil Ager from Mexico is going to be here. Ed Schneider from Campus from Crew. And um, so, so be prepared to be encouraged and to be challenged. And I, and I want to challenge you to pay attention to God's Word that is preached and, and, and then apply it, live it out. Walk in obedience. And then finally, I just want to, I want to express my gratitude for your prayers. Um, please continue to pray for one another. Pray for those who are bringing God's Word to our church. Pray, pray for our, our, the men who are going to be in this pulpit. Uh, this can be challenging. And so pray for them as they prepare and continue to make ready. And, and please pray for Angie and myself as we're traveling and, and as we're resting, as we're memorizing God's Word and studying God's Word over this next couple months. Uh, you, you are precious to our family. And we will miss being with you every week, but, but know that we're praying for you. Angie and I are packing a new church directory that Tammy put together this last couple weeks. And we're going to be going through our church directory and we're going to be praying for you regularly, every day. Um, so with that, let's each be archbis. See that you fulfill your ministry that you've received in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you've called us to people on purpose. You've called us to love one another, to serve one another, to walk side by side with other saints, some who are easy to love and are just faithful, and some that are a little different, can be challenging, maybe who failed us. But Lord, in all these circumstances, might we do people on purpose. Might we love them and serve them, and in doing so, serve you and fulfill the ministry that you've given to each one of us. Father, I pray for your blessing on this church. I, I pray in these next few weeks as we um, are apart from one another, uh, though our spirit is together, as Paul said in his epistle. Um, Father, I pray for my friends here. I pray that you bless them in ways that, that none of us have foreseen. I, I pray that this would be a time of great growth for each one of us a time for each one of us as we use the gifts that you've given to us that some of us may not even realize we have yet. And Lord, just glorify your name during this time, both in our time in Europe as we encourage other saints and encourage one another, Angie and I, and find some time of rest, but also I, I pray that you would encourage this body here. Honor yourself in us. Pray that Jesus would be magnified as we walk this great walk that Colossians has been telling us about. Might we be filled with your spirit as we obediently follow you. Amen.